Welcome to What's Working in Washington. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Today, what upcoming policy changes in Congress will mean for D.C. business. Now, I tend to believe that if you have a low rate and we eliminate deduction and we cut spending, I mean, we are going to unleash the economy. Um, those trillion dollars that we're talking about of new revenue, that's a hidden trillion dollar tax increase on a lot of people. The reform of the tax system is becoming more and more likely as each day goes by. Join us to discuss the current situation as Joshua Baca, Senior Vice President of DDC Public Affairs. Joshua, when President Trump was elected, it seemed like tax reform was a distinct possibility, but the framing of it is now coming much more clear, isn't it? Tax reform is a complicated issue. It picks winners and losers in the marketplace. It's, there's a reason that tax reform hasn't happened since the 1980s, because it's hard to do. Um, it's complex. The tax code is probably longer than or as complex as trying to figure out how to get through the Bible. And I think right now what is happening is there is a strong passion, uh, both in Congress, by the president, and even by the markets who are clearly betting on tax reform happening. Uh, we are now getting into the point where the legislative making process is complex. What are the details going to be? Are we going to have a lower rate? How are we going to pay for it? How does it go into effect? All of these details are currently being debated and hashed out right now. And as the president has articulated earlier this week, uh, the need for tax reform is something that's going to be much needed in the economy. I think we're going to see over the course of the next couple of months, as even the Treasury Secretary outlined, bills moving through Congress. I think you'll have the House move on a piece of bill. I think the Senate, as they normally do, will probably look at it and moderate it and take slightly a different approach. And then those two bills will probably go to conference. And what happens from there, I think, is going to be really interesting on how that plays out. So everything that you're seeing and the conversations you're having, the conclusion is clear that there are going to be significant changes in how, say, corporations are taxed in the United States. Um, you're nodding, so I guess that means, yeah. Now, yes, absolutely. Having said that, there seems to be a pretty large debate about how imports and exports are going to be taxed. Any clarity on how that's going to get resolved? That's probably the number one issue that's currently being debated right now. There's a specific provision in the House plan known as the Border Adjustment Tax. And really what it does is there's just two, two really core concepts to it. If you are a company that exports a lot of products, you're likely or going to most often not be exempt from corporate taxes. Uh, if you're a company that imports a lot, you're going to pay a 20% tax on those imports. And it's really pitted industries here in town against each other. You have traditional manufacturing like General Electric and Boeing and a whole lot of others who are strongly advocating for this. You have companies on the other side like the retailers, Toyota, the auto dealers, even the technology sector who have really serious concerns. And I tend to think that this could be really the hang up here. Uh, we live in a global economy and the reality is, is that global markets, global supply chains really allow us to have iPhones, clothes, food. Uh, a lot of these things are produced or products of them are produced in other countries. And these global supply chains allow us to have this global economy we live in. So you have begun to see a clear divide here where you have a lot of senators over the course of the last few weeks who have expressed some serious reservations over this. This, however, is really being driven by Speaker Ryan and as his bold agenda for tax reform, this could be really what is hung up here on whether or not tax reform happens this year. Well, it would seem to me that the financial markets have taken the general position that tax cuts are coming and they're going to be great. But this issue of transferred pricing, in effect, this could be a big deal for both the economy from the standpoint of making it more likely that consumer prices go up, as you've just described, or just 
you know, constraining the margin of profitability of a large portion of the economy. Do you think the financial markets are really understand the nuances of tax cuts right now? I don't think the financial markets are paying attention to the details. And I think once they do, I think the market's going to react differently. A study came out or some sourcing came out from the National Retail Federation. If the border adjustment tax passed, people would pay something like $1,700 more a year on products that they go buy at Target or Walmart or Best Buy. The price of gasoline would go up. Cars would be more expensive. Your iPhone would be more expensive. So I think once those details begin to emerge more, I think people are going to react very differently to it. The other thing I think that's really important about this debate is there is this whole notion about uh, this being able to bring back more jobs to America. And the reality is, is that I don't know if there's a lot of evidence that proves that. We live in a world today where we were talking about global su supply chains and automation. Sure, we could bring more manufacturing jobs back to the U.S. That doesn't mean that the workers in Ohio and the people in Ohio are going to get more jobs. A lot of these jobs are being automated. There's uh, uh, artificial intelligence that's leading them. And so I think there is a false narrative going on that if the border adjustment tax passes as part of tax reform, suddenly a lot of new American-made jobs are going to happen. I think we need tax reform that protects current jobs, probably one that doesn't include the border adjustment tax, really incentivizes companies uh, to you know keep prices competitive, create jobs here, protect existing jobs. And more importantly, we need to update the tax code because right now we have the highest corporate tax rate in America. We could probably get to 20% without needing to do that. And as probably you and I know, there's a ton of wasteful spending in Washington. We should be looking at that to offset the tax cuts before we do uh, some of unproven. Don't say that too loud. A lot of people <laughs> listen to the podcast and say, wait a minute. I, but you're absolutely right. There's an efficiency. Uh, you can always find efficiency in any organization. And you talk about artificial intelligence. I've had a number of conversations with experts suggest that artificial intelligence may actually make government more efficient. For absolutely. Example. Big opportunity. Joshua, as you look at the situation, though, the other trend that I'm seeing when I talk with people down on Capitol Hill is there is a, a growing separation between some parts of the Republican Party that are happy to take tax cuts on their face and assume growth will come to balance the budget. But I'm hearing other people say, wait a minute, we got to pay for this now. How are you seeing that play out? I mean, I think that's a big piece of why folks are, are, are arguing for or in favor of the border adjustment tax, because of the way scoring some of this technical stuff that occurs in Congress uh, Paul Ryan's plan allows them to take a trillion dollars in revenue that would come from the border adjustment tax to offset those cuts. Now, I tend to believe that if you have a low rate and we eliminate deductions and we cut spending, I mean, we are going to unleash the economy. Um, I don't necessarily think we need to do some of these things. Those trillion dollars that we're talking about of new revenue, that's a hidden trillion dollar tax increase on a lot of people. And it's a kind of a devil in the details. A lot of people don't know about it. But if I'm a member of Congress from Ohio, uh, Pennsylvania, a lot of these places that President Trump carried, he is driving the debate over tax reform. The reality is, is the current proposal that's being debated would probably actually hurt them in the long run. These are middle income voters, uh, fixed income, folks who are going to really feel the increase of increased costs and probably some of those jobs being jeopardized as well. So the big message here as we line things up is that if you're feeling confident about the stock market, <laughs> sounds to me like maybe we shouldn't be. I, I don't think so. I think there's a lot of reason for optimism in the economy. I mean, 
Um, I think the emergence of automation and uh, artificial intelligence has really incentivized companies to think big on ways they could do that. I think we need to make a dedication, though, and a commitment that while automation or artificial intelligence happen, Congress should be looking at ways to promote things like STEM education and engineering at that mid-level. So when these uh, industries change, people are still employed and they have the skill set um, as the economy grows and adapts. And I think when I look at tech reform, to me, that's a big piece that's missing. I think everybody is gambling on this hope that one sort of one size fits all solution with a tax reform bill will grow the economy. I think we need to look holistically at this. And I think we need to think innovatively of it as well. Well, as always, we thank you for coming on and sharing your perspectives, Joshua. And I suspect that over the coming months, we'll have much to talk about with tax reform and other areas where technology and entrepreneurship are going to be affected by our friends downtown. Thank you for having me. It's Joshua Baca, Senior Vice President of DDC Public Affairs. If you're a student of history and you know how the economy grew, you know that the replacement of horsepower with steam power was the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. A lot of jobs were lost in that Industrial Revolution, but they were replaced with jobs in manufacturing as people moved off the farm and an agrarian economy into an industrialized economy in the cities. In a lot of ways, the last 100 or 150 years of our economy has been shaped by the beginnings set by the steam revolution and things like electrification and the mini computer industry and transportation. We now seem to be at a moment in time where we could in fact be seeing the emergence of machines and software taking the current jobs of more and more Americans. The question that we all should be asking ourselves is, will that technology be used to make us better at our jobs? You know, if you had talked with somebody at the time of the steam revolution, they might have said, all those jobs are going away. What are people going to do if they can't work on the farm? In a lot of ways, it's the same conversation we're having now. This is exactly the kind of conversation that Washington, D.C. and its business community is best suited to have because only here will we be able to deal with the social, political, policy, and business implications of what could quite literally be the biggest change in our technology economy since the steam engine over 100 years ago. That's what works in Washington. It's that interplay. That's why this show is on the air. That's why you listen. And that's why many of us came to Washington, D.C. to start our businesses and to start working in policy all those years ago. Over the coming months, we'll be doing other policy programs. The next few weeks, you'll hear a similar program around issues of cybersecurity. We're looking at things like veteran-owned businesses and other areas. If you have an idea for something that we should shine a spotlight on, don't forget to reach out to us at, at What's Working DC. And don't forget to tell your friends you can always find our podcasts on iTunes. We'll be back next week. Meantime, get out there and make things happen. I'm Jonathan Aberman. Goodbye.